0: Well, amen, he is alive, and because of that, we can have forgiveness and hope and confidence and joy. That's why we're here this morning. Uh, If Jesus were not alive, there would be no reason to be here, Um, none at all, but he is indeed alive. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're gonna be looking at the first 46 verses this morning. We are concluding a series, a four-week series today that we've called Miraculous. We've been walking through several of the miracles in John, also that are called signs, pointing us to the truth of who Jesus is. And today we come to this last sign that we are looking at in John's Gospel today, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. So we prepare our hearts, let's pray, and ask the Lord for his guidance as we open his word together. Father, thank you that you have given us reason to gather today. Father, thank you that you have revealed all that we need for life and godliness in your word. And we thank you, Father, that your word is true So Lord, as we open it, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you give us hearts that are receptive to your word today that our lives would be transformed for your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you could name the greatest threat to humanity, the greatest threat facing humanity today, what would you say, that is? You just have one word one choice not a not the top 10 one main overarching threat that faces all humanity today what would you pick I mean there's a good variety of options right think of war and disease famine poverty so many different problems, so many different threats, issues that face humanity today. And to pick one, what would that be? Well, if you think about that question and you think about the greatest threat that we all face, it's really the same threat that has existed ever since the Garden of Eden. And that threat is death. Our greatest foe, our greatest enemy, our greatest problem, our threat that we face today is that of death. It's a threat, it's a problem because there is nothing we can do to reverse it. We certainly try, don't we? We at least try to to delay it. But the fact of the matter is, is that unless Christ comes again before, all of us will will endure death at some point. And then you have to ask the question, why is that? The Bible tells us. In Genesis chapter 2, the very first of the scriptures, in chapter 2 verse 17, the Lord speaking to Adam and Eve, he created the world, he created Adam and Eve and he had given them instructions and he had, he had given them this beautiful garden in which they could live and he says to them in Genesis chapter two verse 17, these words, the Lord says you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve were given one thing, they were forbidden to do. They were not supposed to eat of this one tree. And they did. And the rest is history. Sin enters the world, and so then does the consequence for sin, death. We turn our attention this morning to John chapter 11, And we actually have an occasion where death was, in fact, reversed. It's the story of Lazarus, a close friend to Jesus. Lazarus grew ill, and he died, and then Jesus raised him from the dead. There are, in fact, three resurrection stories in John, not counting the resurrection of Jesus. But this one seems to, to be a bit more spectacular than the others, if I can say that. Not Jesus' resurrection, but the other, the other humans that were, the other people that were, were raised before, before Jesus. It's not spectacular because of who was raised. It's spectacular because of the sign that we find here of how it ultimately points us to Jesus. Now we know that each of the signs, each of the miracles in John have been exposing, revealing, unpacking for us different aspects of who Jesus is. And they in one sense progressively reveal the glory and power that Jesus had as the one, the true Messiah sent from God to redeem sinners. And now this sign, this final sign in John A sign that closely foreshadows Jesus' own resurrection is a sign that proves to us that Jesus is in fact the one who has power even over death. So brothers and sisters, friends, as we gather here today, while death may indeed be a great enemy, death does not have the final word. Jesus does. So we walk through this passage today, we're gonna make four observations that should urge you, that should encourage you to look to Christ as your only hope in life and in death. So we read this passage and walk through it together, we're going to see four observations. The first one is this, in the resurrection of Lazarus, we see a God-centered purpose a God-centered purpose. I wanna begin reading in verse one, chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, at the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are are there not 12 hours in the day? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin and said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. These first 16 verses give us the context of what's going on in this passage. Jesus has recently been threatened and run out of Jerusalem and crossed the Jordan where he remained, as we find him in this passage. It's while he was there that he receives word that his good friend Lazarus was sick. Now, he is sent word by Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha. The message is sent here by, by the sisters and it was not merely a message sent to Jesus as kind of, here's a prayer request, For your friends. The idea behind this message was not merely to update Jesus on what was going on with Lazarus. The the idea here was was an urgent plea for help, for Jesus to do something and come and help his good friend. But Jesus responds in verse 4 with these words, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus indicates here that there is something greater at play behind the illness and eventual death of Lazarus. And we see that the purpose for this is twofold. First, Jesus says, it is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God. Jesus, he doesn't seem to be too unsettled about Lazarus' condition. Because he says in verse four, this is not an illness that leads to death and it will be the occasion for the glory of God to be on display. Jesus says that very clearly, doesn't he? Now, one would think upon hearing the news Jesus received that he would have immediately left and gone and ministered to his good friend Lazarus. I mean, again, he's done many miracles before. They know that. Therefore, the reason they're reaching out to him but, in fact, in verses 5 and 6, Jesus, the text tells us, while he loved Lazarus, stayed two days longer where he was. So You get the scene, he gets word, Lazarus is ill. There's an implication there that they're asking for his help, and he deliberately stays where he was two days longer. This is deliberate. It shows that Jesus has full control over the situation. He knows God is going to be glorified in this way, in this illness that Lazarus is is encountering. You know, I wonder sometimes how often do we consider God's greater purposes in our lives? even in our suffering, even in our grief. Whenever we are faced with overwhelming circumstances, challenges, trials, grief, on we, just you name it, we often are longing for some sense of relief to have a burden lifted. And that's not a bad thing, right? Finding relief, finding a burden lifted is something we naturally, naturally ought to, to pursue. But sometimes we we get to the point even if where we wonder, we begin to ask questions, don't we? We begin to wonder if, could, could, could we be true objects of God's love when we don't see him attending, at least in our perspective, to an immediate need that we have? Here, we are reminded that delays in God's care seeming delays in our perspective, are often sovereignly designed because the glory of God is the greatest good at play. And there are countless times in my life and in your life where we just don't see that. We don't feel it. Therefore, we don't pursue that. We're not thinking that way. We're not thinking, glory of God here. We're thinking, get me out of this, right? When we are dealing with life in real time, we are often thinking we know best. If God would just do this, then all would be well. The fact of the matter is that the glory of God Is the greatest good in the world and God always knows not only what is best but he always knows what will bring him the most glory so first God-centered purpose we see here in this scene is that the illness and death and eventual resurrection of Lazarus was designed for the glory of God but number two a second purpose that we see it's an opportunity for faith. After two days, Jesus announces announces to his disciples that they will go to Lazarus. They're going to go to the same region they've just been ran out of. Jesus has been threatened. Now they're going back. The disciples aren't happy about that. They resist, in fact, because they know the risk that would be at play had they all go back to the place where they've just been ran out. But in verse 11, he explains to them Why they must go? He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I go to awaken him. Now they don't quite get what Jesus is saying there. They misunderstand him and then Jesus goes on to clarify in verse 14. He makes it crystal clear here, right, for these dull disciples. Lazarus has died, right? Makes it crystal clear. Just in case there was any confusion. But then notice what he says after. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. You see there another purpose behind the illness and death of Lazarus. Jesus is saying, let's go to him. He's died, I'm going to awaken him. And I'm glad I wasn't there before him because this is so that you may believe. Remember John has said at the end of the gospel, if you go to John chapter 20 at the end of the gospel in verses 30 through 31, we're told there, John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, but these are written This sign, chapter 11, one of them, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We've reiterated this with each of the signs. The point of the signs, the point of the miracles in the Bible was not so that churches could have healing ministries. The point of the signs in the Bible are to show us that God is glorified through the sending of his son to be the savior of the world. These signs point to Jesus as the one who can die for sinners and give you everlasting life. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there so you can believe. So friend, if you're here today and, and, and you're, you would consider yourself an unbeliever, not a Christian, number one, we're thrilled you're here, you're always welcome here. We hope that you're regular with us. But if you would consider yourself an unbeliever today, this is for you, this is a word for you particularly today. Jesus is telling us that this sign that's about to unfold here in chapter 11 is for people like you, so that you can see the truth of who he is and put your hope in him, believe in him. And by believing in him, having life in him. So what Jesus is about to do in raising Lazarus from the dead is to demonstrate his power as the one who conquers sin and death. Fellow Christians, this is also for you. Notice who he says this to. The disciples, those who are already following him. In some regards, these are people who have already put faith in him, even though throughout this, this earthly ministry, they're progressing in their understanding of who Jesus is. They still don't quite have it all figured out, but they're trusting him, they're following him, they're his disciples. And he says this, I'm glad I wasn't there, so you disciples may believe. He says it to Christians. This miracle was for them so that their faith in him would grow deeper and stronger, that their confidence in him would be firm. And so brothers and sisters, whenever you see these miracles in the Bible, it is for you, it is so that you may believe, it is so that your faith can be strong and firm. You see a God-centered purpose, it's for the glory of God and it's an opportunity for faith. But number two, we see that it's a hope-filled promise that is given in this passage. Pick up in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, so they, verse 16, he, he and the disciples go back to where Lazarus had been and Mary and Martha. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb. He'd already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus and his disciples returned to Bethany where Lazarus had been ill and now died. The text tells us that upon their arrival, he had been now in the tomb four days. When Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, get word that Jesus had arrived in typical fashion, Mary stays and Martha runs. She runs out to meet Jesus and then says to him these words, Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have been here, my brother would not be in the tomb, he would not be dead. Notice several things about Martha's response to Jesus. She reveals a faith and a confidence in him, but there's also a tone of disappointment. Jesus assures her that Lazarus will in fact rise again, but she's thinking future resurrection when the end of the world comes and that 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 day on judgment day when god will raise up the dead and we wouldn't have a eternity forever given glorified bodies she's thinking that she's thinking long term future she has she 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 doesn't seem to, to anticipate anything happening right now and then jesus responds to her with those words of verses 25 and 26 I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus, through these words, declares himself not simply to be the one who can promise resurrection, but he is himself the resurrection and the life, meaning that he is the one who can overthrow our greatest threat, even death itself. And then he states that those who believe in him, even though they will die physically, they will live spiritually. Meaning that those who trust in him will never die in the fullest sense. And then he presses Martha with this most important question. Do you believe this? He's not asking if she believes that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's asking her if she believes that he is the resurrection and the life, that he is the one that can provide eternal life. That's what he's asking her. To which she responds with an answer just as great as Peter's confession in Matthew 16. It's on par, same, same response. Here now through the words of Martha, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She professes him to be who the Scriptures said he was. She professes him to be who he said he was. Yes, you're the Messiah, you're the one the Old Testament had promised to come. You're the Son of God that's coming into the world. Yes, I believe that. interesting, isn't it? Even though her brother, Lazarus, is about to be physically resurrected, Martha reveals a spiritual resurrection that's already taking place in her heart. And brothers and sisters, friends, as we gather here today, as as we think about this scene and we think about that question that Jesus asked Martha, it's a question every single one of you, every single one of us need to answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that by believing in him, you may have life eternal? Do you believe this? Friends, this question needs to be settled because it reveals to us the only pathway for us to be reconciled to God. If you are going to have your sins forgiven and you are going to be reconciled with a holy and righteous God, you need, you best believe this, because it's the only way for you to be right with God. And friend, if you're here today and you're not trusting in Jesus, I'm I'm urging you, believe this. I'm not asking if you do believe it. I'm telling you, you should, because Jesus is implying here through this question and through this, this statement that he gives that this is the way to salvation. Do you believe this? Number three, as we continue in this passage, we see a third aspect of this sign that points us to Jesus through this deeply moved passion of Jesus. And you pick up in verse 28. Again, this is following the dialogue with Martha and Jesus. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she learned it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise, go quickly, and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? After Martha makes this great profession of faith, she returns to the house to tell her sister Mary that the teacher had arrived. And Mary too runs out to meet him and just like her sister, she says to Jesus, the same thing, Jesus had you been here Lazarus would never have died. Faith and disappointment all in one one statement, right? They know Jesus could do something, they know he has power. Disappointed though that he didn't exercise it in the timing in which they thought would be best. I think it's helpful for us to consider their response to Jesus for just a second because I, I, I know, my own experience, I know from our experiences each of us have wondered similar kinds of things, haven't we? Maybe you've waited through a significant trial. Maybe you've felt the bitter weight and pain of a friend or family member dying. Maybe you've walked through this, if you haven't experienced it directly, you've walked through it with someone else at some point. Or you've, you've endured some kind of hardship. And at some point you tell the Lord, Lord, had you only been here, Lord, had you only heard my prayers and my pleas for help. Lord, had you only done this or that, we would not be here in the midst of this moment of pain. Friends, these are some of Jesus's closest earthly friends. Closest friends and they are saying this to his face. I think in sometimes and again in our limited ability to see the full picture, to see all that God is doing in the world and our limited ability to see that, our pain, our suffering, our grief often leads us to question God even to the point of doubting his love for us sometimes. But again, as we see from this passage, there was, there was a greater plan at work. This illness that resulted in Lazarus' death would ultimately bring glory to God and lead many to faith in Jesus. As we keep reading through this passage, I think it's important also for us to see how it impacted Jesus. He sees Mary weeping, we're told. He notices the pain that both of these sisters were enduring. He sees the other Jews mourning. There would often be professional mourners hired to come and mourn with you in that culture in that day. So he sees all this. He sees the weeping, the mourning. And the text tells us that he was deeply moved. Verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This this idea of being deeply moved means to become disgusted to the point of anger. The fact that he was greatly troubled is this idea of being agitated, being stirred up. So sometimes our English translations kind of clean that up a bit. And what we find here is that as Jesus observes all of this, Lazarus has died, Mary and Martha are weeping, all of this scene, this, this, this scene of grief and pain and sorrow and suffering, Jesus is angry. He's disgusted by the entire scene. He's disgusted at the reality of death because this was not how things were supposed to be. He's agitated at the lack of faith that's present. He's moved by the closest of friends suffering what they're suffering because of sin in the world. And then in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, we're told that Jesus himself burst into tears and weeps. It's a moving scene because it shows the humanity of Jesus coming to the fore as he identifies with humanity through a firsthand experience, the the grief that death brings. But his grief is different, He's, he's not grieving as if there's no hope, he's grieving with his friends, but he's grieving in a sense of just, a righteous indignation over all that's going on before him. His grief was one, not one of despair, but one of over anger and disgust over the pain that sin brings into the world. Friends, what we see here is Jesus, even in a way, in, in, in a, in a way prior to the cross, he is enduring the weight and pain of sin through the experience of death the death of a friend. It's a moving scene, it reveals the passion and heart of God. But lastly, we see this miraculous provision that takes place. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He makes his way to Lazarus' tomb he asked for the stone to be rolled away, there's a little resistance from Martha, just thinking the obvious, this is not a good idea. He's been dead four days, it's not, going to, it's not going to be a good scene. And then Jesus tells her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? This, seems, this, this continues all the way throughout this passage, you see these two themes, these two threads, glory of God and faith, glory of God and belief. This is why all of this is happening. It's for the glory of God and so that you may believe. And then Jesus prays. The stone is moved away, and he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did. The text tells us, the man who died came out. A resurrection happens. Death was overthrown. Death was reversed. This command of raw authority that Jesus gives accomplishes the resurrection that Lazarus could have never accomplished on his own. Therefore, demonstrating how the great scandal of death can be reversed because of Jesus. As we've seen this all the way throughout, by each of these signs, when we looked at the first sign that Jesus turned water into wine, We we saw how Jesus there is showing him through this, showing himself to be through this sign that he is the source of joy and abundance. Through the feeding of the 5,000, how Jesus showed how he's the true manna sent from heaven. He is the bread of life. Last week as Pastor Jeremy preached about the man born blind, how Jesus demonstrates himself to be the one that can give sight to the blind. And now through the resurrection of Lazarus, how Jesus shows in this, 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 crescendo and culmination of of what's going on here in this scene, how Jesus shows that he has the power over death. And notice how those present responded. Look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Two responses. Verse 45, many believed. Many believed the very purpose for which this sign, this miracle was given brings about the response that it was intended for. Many put their faith in Jesus, many believed. God's glory was revealed and faith in many was awakened at that moment. This is again why Jesus does the sign. If you don't get this right, you're gonna miss a whole lot about the gospel. We think about the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus are not miracles for us to have just kind of self-centered desires filled, that he's just our little miracle worker walking alongside us in life and when we need a big favor, we ask him to do this big favor. Does he do that sometimes? Yes, he does. I believe Jesus can do miracles today. I don't believe those have ceased. However, when Jesus does these miracles revealed for us in scripture, he's doing them to point to us, the fact that he is the son of God into the world, and that he has power even over our greatest enemy, power over death. He does this to prove that he is the Messiah. He does this so that you can believe but notice how others remained defiant. Many believe and then some of them went to the Pharisees and told on Jesus. If you, in fact if you keep reading the rest of the chapter you see that they further conspired and in verse 53 they make plans. Look at verse 53, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. The irony of all ironies, Jesus just demonstrates he has power over death, and their response is, let's put him to death. Jesus says, game on. That's not in the text. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the truth is, is that if you, as you read that plot to kill Jesus, the truth is that Jesus would soon be arrested. He would soon be put on trial. He would soon be beaten and mocked and brutally nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus, an innocent man, would die. He would be condemned to death, but he was the innocent one dying in the place of the guilty. Remember, Genesis 2:17 says in the day you do this, you shall surely die. The consequence for sin is death. That's what Paul says in Romans. The wages of sin is death, physically and eternally, separation from God. And when Jesus dies, he is taking upon himself the punishment of death that we as sinners deserve because of our sin and our rebellion against God. But brothers and sisters, as he dies, we know that three days later, another stone was removed from a tomb. Three days later, the stone that covered Jesus's tomb would be rolled away and Jesus would walk out of that tomb declaring victory over sin and death and hell once and for all. Lazarus' resurrection was merely a prelude to the most important resurrection that would be accomplished in this book and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And his resurrection is the guarantee Oh, friends, hear that word, it's the guarantee. It's not wishful thinking, it is the guarantee that all who die in Christ, all who die believing in Jesus will one day be raised and brought to life forevermore where we will live in the fullness of Jesus' presence forever. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and following that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Death is our greatest threat because sin has impacted us all. But our greatest enemy, our greatest threat, friends, As we announce this morning, as we announce every Easter Sunday, our greatest threat has been defeated. Because that same verse goes on to tell us the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says death has been swallowed up in victory. The question though, as we conclude our time this morning, is the same one Jesus posed to Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you believe Jesus is the one who swallowed up death and the victory that he accomplished through his death and his resurrection? If not, then trust in him. He did these things to show you the truth about him so that you would look to him and you would believe in him and find hope. The way to be reconciled to a holy God is not by your behavior or not by trying to do enough good in the world or, 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 or through some accomplishment of, our, of your own. The way to the Father is by trusting in the full obedience and sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by believing in him, you will have life through him. Brothers and sisters, those, who you, those of you who do believe, May this truth be the source of our confidence, the guarantee of our hope, and may our lives reflect this marvelous victory as we hope, as we live, as we worship, and as we serve our risen King till we see him face to face. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for, thank you for showing us what our eyes and our ears needed to see and hear. Father, I'm thankful for the signs that you give us throughout the Gospel of John to point us to the savior of the world. Lord, we looked at this text today and we see how in Christ, how in Jesus we have hope because he is the one that can secure victory over our greatest enemy, our greatest problem, death itself because he went to a cross and bore our guilt upon his shoulders, and three days later, he put death to shame through his triumphant resurrection. And Father, we're grateful this morning that we can rejoice in this truth, that we serve a living savior, that we know that you are triumphant even over the greatest of human problems. So Lord, would you provide hope for those who may be here today suffering, grieving, struggling. Lord, may this reminder be a sense of balm to their wounds this morning. Father, it may be that some are here and they've not believed in Jesus. My prayer, Lord, would be that you would open their eyes to see these wonderful truths and that many would believe. Lord, thank you for giving us this sign. Thank you for this wonderful victory that we have in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.